Thank you guys all coming. It's uh, the last service of the year, 2018. This is the last Sunday. So I'm really happy to, to see you all when we made it through another year, 2019. You guys think it's going to be good, bad? What do you guys think, 2019? All right. Got a bunch of fortune tellers. <laughs> Nobody's like, it's going to be terrible. Eh, it might. You never know. <laughs> well, um, I'm just really grateful to, to see you all here today and to be able to spend some time uh, with our Father studying His Word and, and uh, drawing near into His presence. Um, um, let's, let's start in Matthew chapter 22. Keep your finger there in Exodus, and with your other fingers, move over to Matthew chapter 22. And uh, we're going to start in the book of Matthew chapter 22, verse 15, and I'm going to read that to you right after we pray. Jesus, I thank you for your love and your grace, and um, we thank you that you have uh, looked upon us and seen us in our great need, and you died on the cross to um, pay that penalty. You rose from the dead to give us new life. And Father, we want to just learn at your feet right now what you um, think about us, what your truth is, and Father, how we should believe, how we should walk in this life to honor you and to, um, to please God. Uh, you are a God that should be served and should be honored, and so teach us what that means, what that looks like. Uh, Father, forgive us for so much of our life living it on our own and doing our own thing. Uh, Lord, that's something that's been on my heart a lot this week. And so, Father, I pray that you would transform me uh, from thinking that I am the boss of my own life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how might they might entangle Jesus in his talk. And they sent their disciples with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Neither do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So, when they, so they brought him a denarius, and he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. How can you tell who owns something? How can you tell who owns something? Well, according to Jesus here, it's whose image is seen on that thing or whose word is heard or seen or inscripted on that thing. That's his way that he can tell who owns something. It's not where the thing is located that matters. If I leave my cell phone at your house, it's still my cell phone. Finders Keepers only works in kindergarten, right? <laughs> and it doesn't matter what it's being used for. Well, I'm using it right now. This is my hammer. No, it's not. It has my name, has my word on it, whatever. Just, it's, got, it's mine. It belongs to me. So it doesn't matter where it is. It doesn't matter how it's being used. 
what matters is whose image is on it, who really owns it. And God owns the whole universe, right? Amen. He made it. He provided the materials and the energy to create it, so he owns it. Well, what does he do with it? It's a good question. Whatever he wants. And and what we see is that this whole universe declares the beauty and the power of God the more that you look at it. The farther we look into space with our big satellites and our big telescopes, the more beautiful things we see and the more we see that Earth is completely unique in its ability to sustain life. They can't find any other planets like this. They can't find anything else like this. And, and so that's beautiful in, in how unique he made this planet. The farther they look, the more beauty they see, the, the more power of God they see. Wow, it took so much for him to create this. It just goes further and further. In fact, his image is seen in all that he owns. God owns everything, and it glorifies him. So to be owned by God, what we're saying here, is a good thing. The universe, it it declares, it does good things when it's owned by God. The only thing that we could say he doesn't own is man. Is man. Because God gifted man free will, and we chose to rebel against that rule, against his rule, so we refuse to allow him to rule over us. And, uh, but this is something God intends to fix. He has provided a way through Jesus Christ for us to be brought back under that ownership, or what we call God's kingdom, the kingdom of God where God is the king and he rules and he owns. So Jesus fixes this in a couple ways. Jesus first offered his blood. He offered his blood, and this was a sacrifice for our rebellion. God demanded that that rebellion be paid for, and the blood of Jesus pays for that. But secondly, Jesus offers a perfect life, where he kept the Ten Commandments perfectly. And this is not like money, but we see, or not like blood, but we see this is more like money. Jesus offered a price, a valuable life that's worth like silver and gold type money to God. He paid for us. So when we read our text that we're going to read today, it, it causes some problems for the student of the Bible. If any of you, I know that you guys in here are students of the Bible. You study the Word of God. That's why you go to a church that teaches the Word of God. That's why you open up the Word yourselves and you study what does it mean? What is God trying to say? And so we get two problems when we read our text today in the book of Exodus. And I'm going to tell you the problems before we even read the text so that you're ready and you're aware that I'm aware that it causes these problems. First problem is why do people need to pay money in our text? They're going to have to pay money. When the Bible says we are redeemed or ransomed without money and without price. That's in Isaiah chapter 55. God says, come, be redeemed without money, without price. Okay, so that's problem number one. Problem number two, these people were already redeemed. So why is God asking them to come and give some more money to be redeemed again. They were already redeemed. What is the point of a second price for every person in this nation? Every person who, were, who is part of God's kingdom had to, is going to have to come and give some money at the temple. Confusing, weird, strange, 
but we're going to learn all about it today. You ready? So our text in Exodus chapter 30, verse 11 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, When you take a census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. When you number them, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. So this word ransom is the same as the word redeem, and that's the whole purpose of the, of the book of Exodus is it's teaching us about redemption, what, what it means that God takes a people who are not his and makes them his own people. That is what redemption is. They were slaves. He makes them his people, which is they're free from that slavery, but they're his people now. So this ransom, this redemption money is directly connected with numbering the people or a census. Census or numbering in the Bible and everywhere speaks of ownership. Ownership. You don't count someone else's sheep. Why would you do that? You don't count someone else's money. You don't count someone else's possessions. You only count your own things. Okay, so the Constitution of our country, the United States, states that every 10 years there's supposed to be a national census where they go around and they collect data and they find out how many people are living in every city and every state, and they do this for a bunch of reasons, but they don't count Canadians. They don't count Australians. They don't count South Africans. They don't count Venezuelans. They don't count anyone else because the United States doesn't own those people. Those people don't belong to this country, and they're not counted among the resources of this country, and that's how, this, that's how a census works. So God here in the nation of Israel, he commands that everyone in his kingdom who's part of his country, they bring some ransom money. They bring some of this redemption money. And if they don't, he says they're going to suffer a plague. And, and we actually see that this happens a few hundred years later with David. You guys know King David. Okay, he says one day, and as he's king and he's deciding what to do, he says, I'm going to do a census today. And, and he, he says, I'm going to do a census, and I want you to remember the story because Joab was his, like, general, and Joab was not a great guy, but Joab said, no, don't do that, David. Don't do that. These people belong to God. Why would Joab make that connection? Joab was not even a great guy. David wanted to count the people because he viewed all the people in Israel as his resources. These people belong to me, and that's why I want to count them. And Joab, even though he was not a great guy, realizes that these people are God's people. This is Israel. This is God's nation. And so David had a heart problem that even Joab recognized. David, you're being an arrogant, prideful guy right now. And Joab was like, and Joab was upset about it and said, please don't do this. The census that David wanted to do revealed a heart problem in David. And so God, when his child has a heart problem, will give the medicine for that heart problem, which in this situation was discipline and God brought a plague upon the people and many people died and David repented. David said, oh man, I'm really sorry. But many people were killed. It was a big, big time plague. 
David thought that he owned people, but God will not share his glory or his people with anyone. He won't do it. Back to our text, okay? It's, it continues on. It says, this is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give, half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is 20 geras. The half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. So, you math majors, how much is half of 20? Good. Okay, I was hoping we could, we could at least get there. I know this new math is, we could take a while to explain it all, but half of 20 is 10. Is 10 something we've seen in the Bible before in this book? Yeah. What's it make you think of? Ten Commandments. Do you know that's what it's supposed to make you think of? But God, he's so awesome. He says, half a 20, just to make you think a little bit. Half a 20. So he says 10, 10. They're supposed to give 10 geras. Okay, so 10 always reminds us in the Bible of the Ten Commandments, which is God's standard for perfect living. If you want to live perfectly, it's the Ten Commandments. Do the Ten Commandments. That's a perfect life. In fact, that's what we all owe God. If you haven't done that, you go to hell. Okay, well, that sucks because none of us have done it, but there's why, that's why there's the gospel and the whole Jesus thing that we talk about every single week called the gospel. Well, that's great. Okay, but... Nonetheless, they were, they were to give these 10 geras to the Lord as an offering. Now, 10 geras is not a lot of money. It's something like 68 cents. Why is God concerned about 68 cents, about a small amount of money? Well, because the amount is not important. It's all symbolic. It's all symbolic. Why does God require this ransom, this, this um, redemption money? It's to prove that the people belong to him. If you bring me this money, it means you belong to me. I have ransomed you, and you are agreeing with me that I have ransomed you by bringing me just a little, tiny, little offering of 10 geras. They, they give these ten geras that are symbolic of the Ten Commandments to show that they're God's people. This means a perfect, that you're agreeing, if you're God's people, that a perfect life is what God is pleased with. God is pleased with a perfect life. But we can't do that. We haven't lived a perfect life like Jesus did. So the offering of, mon- of this money, these ten geras, is just like when they would bring a lamb to sacrifice before God. Did the lamb forgive them of their sins? Did the blood of the lamb do that? No, it, it didn't. It's just an animal, and that can't cleanse you of your sins. But God required it. He said, I want you to bring them. Every time you sin, you've got to bring a lamb and sacrifice it before me because the blood speaks of, it foreshadows, it, it points us to the blood of who? Jesus. And that's exactly what this money is all about too. He's not saying you're redeeming yourself. He's saying, I want you to bring this money. Every time you think of ownership and who owns you, I want you to bring this money so that you remember the price and the Ten Commandments that Jesus kept for you because you'll never do it. You can't do it. So Jesus does it for you, and you bring that money as an offering 
to the Lord. It doesn't pay the price. It speaks of the price Jesus would eventually pay for us. 68 cents is not what you owe God, is it? Was God missing 10 geras and he's like, oh, I need you to bring them to me. No, this is all a lesson saying, I don't need you. I want you. I love you. And I, I don't need all your money. I need you to trust in what my son is going to pay for you. Make sense? Actually, it does kind of make sense, right? It's symbolic. It's symbolic. So number one, we see the blood of the lamb showed us the penalty required to be paid. And number two, we see the silver and gold money, these geras, and was, was speaks of the value of the life offered. It's all about Jesus, not us. This isn't about what they were required. This is Jesus, pointing to Jesus so that we could learn. Let's go on in our text, and there's even more awesome things here. Everyone included among those who are numbered from 20 years and above shall give an offering to the Lord. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel. When you give an offering to the Lord to make an atonement for yourselves. This is really simple, but it's really beautiful at the same time. Everyone is absolutely equal in God's kingdom. Because if you're rich, let's say you're rich and you're like, well, I can give more than 68 cents, you know, to show that I believe. God's like, I don't want that. Why not? I can give more. I don't care what you can give. I don't care. Well, I'm poor. Giving 68 cents, it's a big deal for me. Great. Don't give less. It, It makes everybody equal in God's kingdom. Everyone is absolutely equal. No matter how much you try harder, then another believer, you're still just a believer. No matter how more fruitful you are than another believer, you're still just a believer. No matter how uh, more talented or more gifted or you're in a better place to serve God than someone else, it doesn't make you better. It doesn't make you more valuable in God's kingdom. God says your value is set. I set your value. And I love you so much. I paid a price so high. I just want you to acknowledge it by bringing the 68 cents or the the 10 geras that we're talking about. Everyone had to bring the same amount. Because the amount, and the amount is the same because the amount is faith. That's what this is. This money being paid is faith. It's symbolic of faith. Because it's faith that saves us, not our works. It's faith that saves us. The offering is the faith of the one who would offer enough, the faith in the one who would offer enough to actually pay for us. So you're bringing this tiny little offering to say, I believe in the one who gave this great big offering. We could never pay that great big offering, but God requires that we trust in him who paid it for us. This is a token of faith. It's a little token saying, I trust in the price Jesus paid for me. We could never live the Ten Commandments. Even even if we did, that would be far too little for God to accept us. So God requires that we simply trust in Jesus, who didn't offer ten geras, he offered ten perfect golden commandments. He offered everything, the full price, the perfect life is what he gave. And we're just putting ourselves in that camp, in that tent, saying, 
This is where I am. I believe in what he did. All of God's, all the people in God's kingdom, all the people in God's nation must trust in Jesus or, listen, they're not part of his kingdom. God says, I'm counting up my people. If you bring me the trust, the faith in Christ, you're in the kingdom, you're counted, you're mine. But if you don't want to trust in Jesus, you say, I don't need Jesus. I don't need what he did. I'm fine on my own. I stand on my own. God says, guess what? You're not part of my kingdom then. This is the thing. Jesus' gift was free to everybody, but you have to appropriate it. You have to say, I believe it. And that faith is you taking the 10 gears and saying, look, I trust in his keeping of the 10 commandments, not mine. I trust in it. God says that is the dividing line of who goes to heaven and who doesn't. Who is my child and who's not. That is it. Do you trust in what Jesus did, what Jesus accomplished, his work, or do you trust in your own? Over and over we say the same thing, but it must be said. We got to be reminded of this all the time because even if we believe in it one day, guess what happens? We drift and we start to think, hey, I'm all right. I'm doing all right. I don't need Jesus today. And we drift from this so quickly and so easily. Let's look at it. Keep going in our text and see what it says. And you shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel and appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. Jesus did absolutely everything for us, absolutely everything that we needed. But we have to take that, trust in that, and bring it before God. Your part of salvation is taking it by faith. Coming before the Lord and say, look what I have. Trust in Jesus. That's what I have. When you die and you arrive before the pearly gates and Jesus is like, why should I let you in to my heaven? You're going to say nothing except your life, Jesus, was paid for me. You gave your life for me. And he'll say, welcome into the joy of your Lord. I love you. Welcome, it was for you. But then there'll be people who arrive at the pearly gates and say, no, I, I did okay in my life. I did my best. I'm sure that's good enough for you, right? And Jesus says, I don't know you. And you rejected the sacrifice my son Jesus gave for you. So God will say, get out of here. There is no place for you here. This kingdom is the kingdom of Christ. And you must receive and believe what he has done to be in that kingdom. It's his kingdom, not ours. It's heavy stuff, right? I love it. Because his goodness to us who believe is unmeasured. He is so good to us. Giving us life when we deserve death. He does absolutely everything for us. And all he asks is that we believe and receive what he did. Say, yes, I want that for me. Jesus, I want to believe what you did for me. So what this means is that you belong to God. When you take the price paid in faith to God, when you take that price, you belong to God. You are signing up to be counted by him to be a part of his kingdom to be owned. 
Matt was like, get owned by God. <laughs> Check out these verses. We're going to look at a couple other verses in Scripture here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 23. It says, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Okay, if Jesus is God's, we can see that. That's like a perfect relationship. Perfect relationship. Just like what he says, you get with Jesus. The way Jesus says, God, you own me, I will do your will, even if that means I'm going to go to the cross and die, I believe you'll raise me from the dead. I am submitted to your will. That's, he's like, I am owned by you. I am yours. He says, you get that same relationship with Jesus. Jesus, I'm yours. My life is yours. Whatever you want, I accept. What you will before what I want. Next verse is Romans 8, 9. Romans 8, 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. See the ownership there? He says, if I own you, guess what? You have the Holy Spirit. That's the gift of a Christian. The child of God gets this gift of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have this Holy Spirit, you are not his. What is the Holy Spirit? It's that internal desire and, and life that says, I want to know God, I want to serve God, I want to honor God. Now, that might battle against who you used to be, which is I want to know myself, serve myself, and do whatever I want. I want to rebel against God, is what that says. So it's a different spirit that says I want to submit to God and surrender to God versus I want to know God. And, Jesus, and the Bible says if you have that, that surrender type heart, you are owned by God. You are his child. You are part of his kingdom. You have assurance. If you're battling, that's okay too because that means that there's a battle there. But if you're completely on this side, I don't care what God wants me to do. Screw him and I don't want to know him ever. You're not saved. I don't care what prayers you pray. I don't care what you're doing. If you don't care and you have no desire in your heart to do his will, you are not a believer and you are not saved. Does that make sense? It's not that hard. The battle's okay. We have a battle between flesh and spirit. That means you have a good spirit. That means the Holy Spirit's in you. And if you're completely surrendered, great. That's where Jesus wants you to be. But no care at all for God's will, big problem. Big red lights, not good, okay? Our next verse is Galatians 3.29. Galatians 3.29 says, and if you are Christ's, See the ownership there? Then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Heirs. That means you're adopted. You, you get the rights of a child of God. All that God has promised to Abraham and subsequently to Jesus, because he's Abraham's son, all of it belongs to you. And you are adopted by him. Oh, see, God owning you is a good thing, right? This is not a bad thing to be owned by God. It's a good thing. You are not your own. You are his people. You can call it his army if you want, his ambassadors. Whatever language you want to use, you work for him. You are his 
people. So let's test ourselves. Why don't we get even more uncomfortable? Let's test ourselves by the word of God and check the condition of our hearts. And we're going to do this by asking a simple question. What am I going to do with my life? What am I going to do with my life? Think about that question for yourself. What am I going to do with my life? Maybe you had some good responses pop up in your brain. I'm going to change the world. I'm going to make a difference. Okay, those are, those are some things. How about I'm going to chase my dreams. I'm going to get what never, you know, what I really want. I'm really going to chase that. I'm going to put a lot of energy, and when I wake up, the thing I think is chasing my dreams, what I really want. Maybe it's to be satisfied, to be fulfilled. All these, I really just want to be happy. I really just want to be entertained. I really just want it easy and easy life. I really just want to be loved. I'm going to chase my dreams. Maybe we think I'm going to do whatever I want because I'm in charge of my life. I get to decide what I want to do. Or maybe I just want to make people happy. I just want to make people happy. I want to please people. I want to help them out, do nice things. If we don't say before this, whatever Jesus wants, our hearts need some grace for a deep work of transformation. If we are not surrendered to his will, are we really his people? What am I going to do with my week? Whatever Jesus wants. What am I going to do with my day? Whatever Jesus wants. What am I going to do with my evening tonight? Whatever Jesus wants. Well, I don't know what Jesus wants. Then open up your Bible and find out. Go to church and find out. Learn what he wants. Ask him what he wants. Say, I'm not going to do anything until you tell me what you want. So I'm going to read your word. And when you say, oh, love my, my spouse then I'm going to do that. If you want me to give my life to, for someone, I will do that. Whatever you want, Jesus. That's what it means to be owned by God. Galatians chapter 5.24 is another great cross-reference for us. Galatians 5.24 says, And those who are Christ, see the ownership there? Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. When we are numbered with Christ or when we belong with him, when we have come in the census with our faith and said, here is 10 geras. Here is my faith in what you did, Jesus. He says our desires are not fleshly. They're not worldly. And this doesn't mean, like I said, that we're not tempted by worldly things, but it's a statement of truth about what we truly desire in our spirits because God has transplanted your old rebellious spirit out of you, nailed it to the cross, and he's put Jesus' submissive, wonderful, gentle spirit within you that wants to do God's will. And he says, that's the truth about you when you have believed. That's the truth. But I really feel like I want to do selfish things. You don't. Do you believe in Christ? Yeah. Then you don't. But I feel like I do. Yeah, the enemy is super good at tricking you into thinking that's what you want. But do you want to rebel against God? The answer is no. That's not what I want. That's not what I want because I am a true believer. 
I really believe. Our job is to believe, to believe what the gospel states about who we are. So what am I going to do? The job of a true believer, the answer of a true believer is always whatever Jesus wants me to do. Whatever Jesus wants me to do. Why? Because I'm not my own. He has purchased me with a price too high to even count. The value Jesus paid for me was infinite. So Jesus is my boss. I was going to play that video. Have you seen Jesus is my friend? By Sunseed. <laughs> this horrible 70s band did this horrible video called Jesus is my friend where they, they're trying to be cool and like, Jesus is my friend. Anyway, I was going to make fun of it and then I thought they probably wouldn't want me to make fun of them. So uh, anyway, I wish they wrote a song called Jesus is my boss. That would have been great. Not that he's not your friend, but he owns you. I'm the clay and he's the potter. He is forming me according to his own will. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Why would God choose me for this kingdom and this team, for his army, to be part of his body. Why would God choose me? I'm a loser, I'm lame, and I am certainly insufficient to represent Jesus to this world. This is our, our lesson, our main lesson for today. Why would God choose me? Well, he chose me because he loves me. And he transforms me into his own image because he loves himself. You're like, that's arrogant. Yeah. For a human, yes, that is arrogant. That is prideful. That's narcissistic and all the, all the rest. But if the world could just see how wonderful and perfect and loving Jesus is, God is, they would agree that every form of worship of Jesus is perfectly appropriate. If we could see that. So Jesus chooses me because he loves me but then he transforms me because he loves himself and he transforms me into his image. Jesus is most pleased when he takes a sinner like me and transforms me into his image and that's what glorifies God about your life. When we are transformed into his image. You remember the, the coin at the beginning? When we read in Matthew chapter 22 that the coin had the image of Caesar and God said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. If you have God's image being created in you, you belong to him. That's how it works. You do what he wants. There's a wall near the main entrance of the Alamo in San Antonio, Texas. Anyone been there? The Alamo? Do you remember? Remember the Alamo? Okay. On this wall, thank you, there's a portrait with the following inscription, James Butler Bonham. No picture exists of him. But the portrait shows his nephew, Major James Bonham, deceased, who greatly resembled his uncle. It is placed here by the family that people may know the appearance of the man who died for their freedom. Isn't that amazing? But what's awesome is that no picture exists of Jesus today. 
but the likeness of Jesus exists in us. When we believe, Jesus creates his own likeness in us. And if people wanted to know what was Jesus like, they only need to look at his body here on earth, which is us. Those who give up their lives for him. Those who say, I believe in you. I am going to surrender my life to you. You become the image of God to this world and God is glorified when his son Jesus is seen anywhere. It's amazing. Guys, we belong to Jesus so that Jesus can be seen and glorified in this world. Not so that he can boss you around. It is so much bigger than that. We are so arrogant when we just don't want to be bossed around. Don't tell me what to do with my life. You're not the boss of me. Right? We love to say that. They're not going to tell me what to do. We love that. It's this independent, satanic rebellion in our hearts. And what's crazy is that Jesus says, I love you so much. I am going to produce my image in you. My impression is going to go on you. So the people are going to see me in you. I'm going to do all this. Will you submit to me? Will you allow me to make you something so valuable to this world and to my Father's kingdom? Will you let me? Because we're like, no, I want to be what I want to be. And we're this piece of clay. And we're like, ah, don't form me. Don't make me do what you want me to do. And God's like, I want to make you the most valuable thing in this world. I want to make you so amazing. And yes, I know it's going to cause some pain and it's going to be difficult. And you're going to have to surrender everything. Everything that you want to be and you want in your life, you have to let it all go and say, I am nothing. My life means nothing apart from Jesus being seen in my life that it has to go that way. If you do that, his image is stamped on you and what people see when they see you is Christ and you have instantly become the most God-glorifying thing and, glo- and wonderful, valuable thing in this entire universe. That's what you become. Or we can hold on to what we want in our life, rebel and say, I don't, and so God is trying to form us and I want to do something great with you, but you're so wiggly. You just won't let me. That's how it works. Our part in this is simply to surrender. Our part is simply to surrender. To say, I am done fighting. I'm done trying to do my own life. Jesus, it's all you. I don't want to do anything but what you have for me. So we offer our life in humility and faith. Humility saying, gosh, I'm not really that great. My plans weren't that great, and they're not according to your will anyway. And faith, but I believe you have a will for me. I believe you love me, and I believe you are going to use me. So our exhortation today is to surrender your life to the lordship of Jesus. Make Jesus the boss of your life. Offer him the small value of your life in exchange for the extreme value of his life. For those of us who have been walking with the Lord for a long time,
isn't the life of Christ the most wonderful thing and, and experiencing it and tasting it and, and having his light in you, isn't it the most wonderful thing in the world? Amen. That is all we can testify. If When you taste, you will see nothing is better than the life of Christ. And that's your, our exhortation for today. So, worship team, you ready? How many songs we got? Two songs. Okay. So we're going to do a couple more songs. During these last two songs, um, we always open up our communion table. And communion is also symbolic, just like the money that we talked about today, just like the blood of the lamb that uh, they would have to offer and kill and slaughter at the altar. It is all symbolic of us believing and accepting what Jesus did for us. So Nathan, would you grab the lights for me? Um, when we come over here and we take the cracker and we, we chew it, we, we break it up, we re- that's reminding us that Jesus offered his life, his body, as, as the penalty and sacrifice for our sins. And so when you take it, you're saying, I believe this, and I take it into me. And then when you take the cup, you're remembering his blood that was spilled, his blood that cleanses you from sin and then offers you his own new life. You drink that in, saying, I believe what he did for me. None of this is saying, I'm earning what Jesus did for me. It's all, I believe what Jesus did for me. Isn't it great to be a believer? We're so not just doers. We are believers. And God will make us doers through the believing, okay? So, um, would you all stand with me? We're going to close our eyes. We're going to take a moment to allow God to um, work in our heart. And and we're just going to take these two songs. We are going to respond to the word that his his word uh, that we read today that he has spoken to us. Um, so let, let's pray. Jesus, Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus uh, by what he did for us and Lord, we believe. And so we bring to you the money that you required. We don't want to have the plague of those who think they can do it on their own and so they will be disciplined by you. We want to be accepted and counted by you as yours. And Lord, to surrender every other form of faith and every other confidence uh, that we have and our own plans and our own ways that we want to make ourselves happy, we want to please ourselves, God, to surrender that is scary for us. But God, your kingdom draws us. Your spirit is drawing us towards complete and full surrender. And so Jesus, we ask that you would help every single person in here to just take that leap of saying, God, take me, all of me. I bring my my simple offering of faith to you and I believe that you will accept it. It's nowhere near enough to earn anything from you but yet Jesus has earned it all for us and we can believe and trust and receive and accept what he has done on our behalf. Lord, we we hear this gospel over and over and over in our lives. And, And God, I pray that today would be a day our hearts would crack open just a little bit more, that it would leak down into the dark places of our heart that it hasn't yet gone. And God, that you would free us from any sort of self 
dependence, that we would trust completely in you. And Jesus, all the problems in our life, I pray that we would see them as you see them, which is they are not difficult. They are simply ways that you are teaching us to enter your presence, to put our hope in you, to trust in you, and to be satisfied and and to experience your peace. So thank you for every problem that has ever come into our lives. Thank you for when people have treated us poorly, where we have realized this world does not give us what we need. Only you, Father, can meet our needs. Thank you for teaching us that. And I pray that we would all accept you and accept what you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray and we rejoice. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen.